This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you today and give you, I, I, I want to begin to kind of dissect this a little bit because it's something that I speak about quite often, but the more I've begun to have a look at it, the more I've, I've realized the value in it for me personally. And so be not conformed, but be transformed. Be not conformed, but be transformed. Why is it so important to us and why is it so significant? You know, everything that God puts in the Bible is there for a good reason. That was the easy one. <laughs> it's there for a reason. But the amazing thing about God is because he's all-knowing, we just scratch the surface of stuff and then we think we have an idea as to really what it means. But the more we begin to check it out and the more we begin to spend time on it, the more we begin to realize how much depth there really is to a lot of stuff. I don't know about you, but when I got born again, it was a wonderful experience for me, but I really never understood and had an appreciation for how vast that really was. When we become born again, it wasn't, I don't know about you, but I never realized the fullness of the implications of what that was all about. But becoming a born again believer was really an invitation to newness. Becoming a born again believer was very significant because the thing is, what he was telling us was this, I'm gonna put you on a journey and understand this, everything that you've known, every way that you've lived, every way that you've defined yourself, every context you have for living, every way that you've dealt with your situations and your circumstances, everything is going to shift and everything is going to change. And so recognize that you, where you find yourself when you move into a relationship with God is you're going to find yourself on a journey. And the journey is all about the jettison of that which is unwanted and unnecessary, according to God, and building in new things that are going to take me into a redefinition of who I am. I never had an appreciation for the journey or the destination, really. I didn't really fully comprehend and understand the fact that by the time that God is finished with me, I shouldn't recognize myself. I shouldn't recognize myself. Things are going to change. There, there are... There are Fundamentals that are so much a part of who we are that they form the crux of how we live. And two of those things, one of, the, one of the most important things for God is your identity and who you are. Your identity is inextricably linked to how you live. If you are a kind person, it's defining your character, you have a pattern for living that flows from that. So you live from kindness. You don't have a kind person who's nasty. They may have moments of nastiness, but that's generally not who they are. So our identity becomes really important in God's economy, but for us to always understand or to also understand why our identity is so important. Why has God got such a thing about who you are? It's because who you are defines how you live. Determining who I am is under, and understanding who I am and allowing them to give redefinition to who I am and what I'm about opens the door to redefining the patterns of life that I live by. They become important things. 
I want to start off this morning by reading Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 6, and then I'm going to jump to verse 10. It says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 10 says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. People are searching for fulfillment, for happiness, for completion, for wholeness. People are searching to get to a place where they realize the fullness of not only who they are, but living itself. To be fulfilled in that paradigm. And when we start looking at this, this stuff, there's a very interesting part, and I refer to this so often because it's a small little verse, but there is so much wealth in it. Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God said, this is before creation. Who's he talking to? And God said, who is he talking to? And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it becomes very apparent to us that we're dealing with God as an entity here who is goal-oriented. He's purpose-oriented. God knows what he's doing. There's not random stuff. When God says, let us create man in our image after our likeness, he's giving us a blueprint for who you are. He's giving us a blueprint for who you are. If you want to discover who you are, there it is right there. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What God was saying was this. The image of God was to become the model that defines my identity and who I am. And when I allow that to inform my paradigm or my pattern for living, it's the same thing, I begin to reflect his likeness. It's the essence of what we were all about. Let me give a little bit of, put a little bit of meat on that, but I want you to understand this when, the reason I'm talking about that because it's a prelude to how he actually designed you and how he put you together. When he talks about, let us create man in our image, the, what image is it that God's looking for us to be like? Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 um, and 23, I want to read it out of the, the, the Passion Version. And it says, the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love. Or the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit of love. What he's talking about is, just leave it up there, Donna, thanks. What he's talking about is, he's saying, I'm going to give you an idea as to what defines the nature of God. And the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to take things that define God's image and who he is, and to impart that to you so that he can begin to redefine who you are and what you look like. If you want to have a look at what you look like, here it comes right now. The Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Kindness in action. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. That's what he's talking to us about. 
Having said all of that, what I would say in the very next sentence is, we have no concept as to really what that means. What we have is we have a natural idea as to what the definitions of those words are. But the funny thing is, as you begin to explore them with the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening is he takes you to a new level of depth and understanding as to what that is. And when he begins to move us into those spaces, we begin to realize that his concept of love and joy and peace and goodness is very different to what I imagined it was. And so my definition of myself begins to get conformed and, and transformed and changed so that it begins to reflect who he is. But it also moves to a place where as a result of that, because I am a person who is filled with peace and that defines who I am, I step into a paradigm and a life pattern that is peaceful. If you want to change your world, change your identity. If you want to change your life, change who you are. <laughs> that's why God always talks to us as being sons of God what is he saying it's an invitation that's extended to you to recognize the fullness of who you are and what you're all about because he's sitting saying when you step into defining who you are by who I am when you begin to recognize me and you allow that part of who I am to have influence in your life you will begin to shift and change and as you change your living will change and we begin to recognize and we're introduced to the reality and the truth that the focus of my life is to be spiritual, not natural. A spiritual person is a person who recognizes the fact that the fullness of my identity and who I am is going to come as a result of my relationship with God, not as a result of my engagement with the world. And so let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let us create man so that his identity can look like who we are and can give expression to who we are so that the way that they live will be just like we are. That was the impetus, that was the design for creating who we are. So he's having this discussion before he actually ever created man. And it's based on that blueprint that he says, okay, to make that a reality, what are we going to do? Let's put it into play. Donna, won't you put that first slide up, please? Oh, where's my water? Thank you. You are spirit. Spirit defines the essence of your being. When a spirit person comes into being, a spirit will never die. That's why it is the principle of life in your body. When spirit was put inside body, body became a living entity. It was spirit that put life in your body. And when spirit leaves your body, body will die. Once a spirit is created, it will never die. Where you spend eternity after you leave the earth will be determined by what you do here. But spirit will never die. That's why spirit in body gives body and mind life. 
It is the essence of our being. This is the place where the Holy Spirit comes and gives redefinition. This is the place where the Holy Spirit comes and lives. If you want to know where, when you get born again, what happens, that is the part of you that gets made new. And the Holy Spirit moves into that space. The Holy Spirit is the one who sits and says, thank you for inviting me into your home. Now let's develop a relationship because I'm here on a mission. And my mission is transformation. My mission is to move you to a place where you will never be the same. His responsibility is to take the things of God and teach them to you. What he means by teach them to you is introduce them so that they redefine who you are. Our spirit is really important. The thing about it is, it's not just our spirit that's significant. The thing about it is, spirit is the essence of who we are. But you need to give definition to who you are. And in the very center of spirit is something called the heart of man. It is your mind. God gave every one of you something called free will. Donna, why don't you put the other slide up, please? Um, free will. That is where it resides. That space called your mind is the part of you that is able to make decisions about who you are, what you want. It is a result of the interaction not only with the spirit, but once you put into the body your interactions with the world and the earth as well. Adam had the prerogative of exercising who he was, his free will. And as long as he lived in relationship with God and was with God, the two of them were together. And spirit gave influence to who he was. But it was a partnership. Adam had to choose. God, I'm partnering with you. But there came a time where he said, I'm going to do something outside of what your design is. And when he did, he made a choice. If he never had the prerogative of choice, he couldn't define who he was. He would always be what God intended for him to be. He chose badly. All of us in that center place have what we call the heart of who we are. It's the mind. It's that part of you that creates who you are. It's that part of you that creates your identity, your personality, your individuality. It's the very essence and the center of your spirit. When you die, mind and spirit will depart body. You will know things after you leave here. It's not like you leave it all behind. The third one, Donna. So God created spirit and our, our, the essence of who we are, our heart. But then he also created something called body. He put in body something called senses. Senses offer us the opportunity to engage with the environment in which he's placed us. He created a habitation called earth and he gave us senses so that you can fully realize and appreciate and value and have interaction with the domain he placed man in. I get to see things. I get to see God's beauty. I get to feel and experience that stuff. I get to hear. I get to taste. All of those things are, are, are things that are part of my physical being. They're attributes of my body, my physiology. 
And all of those things with regularity are taking the stimulus that's happening out in my domain and it's feeding it in. And when it feeds it in, it goes to something called, the fourth one, Donna, my brain. That little red thing on top. Your brain is part of your physiology. Your brain is interpreting everything that's happening. The reason that God gave you a brain was because he wanted you to function fully and successfully in a natural realm. The brain is there to allow you to do that. It's designed to fulfill that function. The challenge is this. The brain is working with the body and all of those things are also giving influence and inputs into the mind. When God breathed the breath of life into man, he became a living soul. What that means is this. You are spirit put into body cohesively and in a united way. Every aspect of who you are and what you're all about becomes a living soul. We cannot separate our actions from who we are. Everything works together. Everything operates together. The intention of God when he comes and begins to work with, with us is to sit and say, I'm going to take you to a place where I want you to understand I'm going to change every part of your being so that you go back to your original design. And that includes the body. We cannot separate any element of who we are. To be a living soul means every part of us, spirit, mind, Brain, body operates cohesively and in a functional way in a united capacity, responding, moving, interacting, engaging cohesively. That's what it means to be a living soul. There are some things that you inherit, and they may not necessarily be tangible, but they influence your life. So, when I emigrated to the United States, what ended up happening was I took on new citizenship. As a result of that, my children will be born, or were born, with American citizenship. They were born under a very different constitution. They were born under different laws. They were born in places where they had different rights. They were born in an environment that produced and introduced them to different opportunities. They had no say or no influence in that. That was something that I did, and as a result of my action in moving here, it influenced their life. There are things that we inherit that may not necessarily be tangible, but they play a significant role in our life. The fall was one of those. It's something that we inherited from our humanity and the reason that the fall becomes important is because it begins to speak about how it divided us from God's design for who we were supposed to be. And so during the fall, what ended up happening is Adam made a choice and as a result of Adam making a choice, what ended up transpiring is the spirit of God that inhabited his spirit, Adam was his mind, the two there was separation and there was a disconnect. When it speaks about Adam walked with God and Adam was with God, it doesn't mean that Adam and God were arm in arm. 
Adam was designed very much the way that we were ultimately supposed to be. The very life of God and the essence of God, the spirit of God lived inside of him. And his mind was in continual interaction and relationship with the spirit of God. The spirit was teaching him and training him. And every time he walked into situations, it was showing him and introducing him to newness and what it means to be an authority figure in that environment. The spirit was training him. Adam was in a place where he was learning who he was because of relationship with God. And because of sin, there was a disconnect. And all of a sudden, he found himself in a place where my mind is here, but I no longer have access to the spirit of God to give influence to who I am. But I still find myself in a, an environment in which God placed me and there's still stimulus coming into my world from my environment. All of this stuff is coming in. The challenge with it is this. He was supposed to be, in his mind, defined by the life of God, which meant that as he engaged with situations, he would look at it and appraise it from a perspective that introduced him to what it was to be a dominion figure, to rule and reign in that environment, in that situation. What does it look like to be above only and not beneath? What does it look like to introduce wholeness and fullness? He lived from a different paradigm. When that was removed, what ended up happening is his input coming in from the environment in which himself, he found himself suddenly began to redefine who he was. And he moved to a place where he recognized what he was supposed to have dominion over began to take dominion over him. And all of a sudden, he found himself in a place where because he was being defined by his environment, he became a slave to his environment. My world defined me. So all of a sudden, I'm responding because of what I've seen, because of what I've been engaged in, because of my interpretation of my world. All of those things moved in and began to redefine who he was. And I was no longer an overcomer but I was overcome. And the problem with it was I was being defined in terms of my identity and my pattern for living was being conformed to that. And so I began to look like my environment. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. What does it mean to be carnally minded is death? When we carnally minded, what ends up happening is we go to the world to give definition to who we are and allow it to influence us. And as a result of that, we live from something which translates ultimately into things that steal, kill, and destroy from me. So I'm at a place where I have a look at something that Jesse has. And it makes me unhappy that he has it and I don't. And when I began to entertain that and think about it, what ends up happening is who I am begins to get defined by something called jealousy. I become a jealous person. I don't understand why he has things that I don't have. Why does he have opportunities that I don't have? Why is he moving in these? Why is he, why is he, why is he? There's something on the inside of me that becomes jealous about that. And the result of that is when I run into Jesse, it affects my patterns for living. I've got a big fat attitude. Who do you think you are that you're so great? You're not better than me. Little digs. 
cutting comments. The carnal mind translates into death. There's no relationship. Things are ugly. Anytime we have patterns in our life that are defined from our environment, what we're going to find and we're going to realize is that we become carnally minded. Carnally minded is when I live from a different paradigm than God intended. I'm living from the world as opposed to his influence. And anytime I do that, it's never going to introduce me to life and overcoming. It's never going to introduce me to joy and to peace. God has ownership of cer over certain properties that walk us into life and peace. And he's saying, you're not going to get that stuff in a carnal mind. But to be spiritually minded, spiritually minded, what is he doing? He's talking about your identity. Minded. To be carnally minded. He's talking about your mind. When you allow your mind to be influenced by your brain and your environment, you're carnally minded. To be spiritually minded is to be intentional about sitting saying, I'm not going that way to get definition for who I am. To be spiritually minded means, Holy Spirit, I'm coming to you. I need for you to define me in the space. Talk to me about who God is. Show me his image because that is supposed to define who I am. The wonderful thing about being spiritually minded is this. God gives us a gift. And the gift that he gives us is not only the opportunity to change the focus of our life from the natural to the spiritual, but he offers us the opportunity of reinvention. If ever you were at a place where you wanted to sit and say, you know what, I want to leave the past behind. I don't like where I've been. I don't like the way that I behave. I don't like the way that I feel. I don't like the action. I don't like those things that used to define me. What he's saying is to be spiritually minded offers us the opportunity of reinvention. It offers us the opportunity to leave that behind and to embrace something new and move into something new that he has for us. Are you with me? Yes, You're okay. The problem that we have is that we have baggage. The problem that we have when you come to a place of, re uh, of having an introduction to God is that we have baggage. Do you know why we have baggage? Because of the way that we were designed. You see, when God designed us, he always designed us to be at a place where the mind took preeminence in terms of who we are, and that should have been defined by the spirit. And as a result of that, a healthy spiritual mind, what it would have done is it would have um, programmed the brain according to God's design. The challenge with it is when our mind is not spiritual, but it's carnal, our mind defines, sorry, our mind defines our brain carnally. So what ends up happening is I've got problems in my life because there are patterns that I live by that are inculcated, that are part of me that I can't escape. We spoke last week about a thing called habit. 
God gave us a wonderful, wonderful gift called habit. Because you know what? The brain, because it is designed to make you live successfully in the world, what it's designed to do is process information at incredible speeds. Pick up on what it is supposed to be doing, and it's supposed to build models for living, what we call habits. Models for living. The reason it does that is because it's wanting to make your life a whole lot easier. So you don't have to think about every little thing you do. You bounce out of bed in the morning, you get your body moving, you get, and you don't think about any of that stuff. Why? Because when you were a toddler and you were learning to walk and you were learning to get balance, the body was learning. The body was learning. It was picking up on all kinds of inputs and influences and it began to understand things like body and it began to understand things like balance and it began to understand things about making sure that all the different um, parts of your body cohesively work together so that you can function as, as a walking being. And then when I can walk and then I can run and then I can do things. What is it doing? It was learning all the time. What does it mean? It means when you jump out of the chair here, you don't give a second thought to how I do it. Why? Because we live from habit. Habits are patterns that have been built into us. And so the thing is they're designed to make our life easy. We don't think about things. They just happen. You want to go and get that cup of coffee? Off you go. You don't realize what's involved, the mechanisms and how your brain actually functions to make sure that every part of your being and every muscle and every nerve and every tendon and everything it's supposed to do what it's supposed to do does it when it's supposed to do it so that you do it perfectly and flawlessly and comfortably. It just happens. We have the blessing of habit because it makes our lives easy. We have the blessing of habit because it means that we can do things without thinking. We have the blessing of habit because what it means is that our lives run smoothly. We have the blessing of habit because what it means is that comfort is a part of the way that I live life. There are so many blessings to habit. The problem with it is it's just not always a blessing but can become a problem when it has been defined and programmed incorrectly. And so when I grow up and my mind is carnal, what ends up happening is I program my brain that way. And so what ends up happening is I'm putting a nail in the wall and I hit my finger. And what's the first thing to come out of my mouth? Don't say it in church. <laughs> Why did it happen? And you didn't think about it. Why? It was programmed that way. And all of a sudden, I find that my body's doing things. I find that things happen and there's stimulus all around me. Something goes on that irritates me. And suddenly it's like, it, it, it's the, I, I fly off the handle. Why? Because I've learned to behave that way. My body's been programmed the way that it's supposed to function and what it's supposed to do. It's making my life easy. It's making my life smooth. It's making my life comfortable. It's supposed to make my life uncomplicated. But the problem with it is because it's been programmed to do it and to behave from a carnal point of view, things are happening in my life all the time that are incongruent with where God wants me to be. I know you don't believe me, so I'm going to tell you what God says. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing what you want. 
As a born again believer, I want to do different things. I want to live different ways. I want to speak differently. I want to have different influences in environments. And what I find is I want to do all of this stuff, but I got my flesh that's doing a whole bunch of things on its own. It has its own agenda. We've created our own paradigm. We have created our own reality. We have assumed responsibility for defining who I am and my patterns for living. Your history and your upbringing were fundamental influences in giving definition to who you are and how you live. And it's the baggage very often that we carry with us. It doesn't rest in my spirit. It's not necessarily even living in my mind. It's living in my brain. It's my brain that's continually programming my body to do things that are opposite to what I want to do. It's not our circumstances and situations. It's not what happens to us that defines who we are. It's what we believe about what happens to us that defines who we are. We're young. And when we're young, we're dumb. Because we're growing. As kids, we do things. Angela and I and Sean, we talk about things that happened when we were young. We were kids. So you do stupid things because I'm not at a place of maturity to understand you shouldn't do that. I'm not at a place of maturity to understand I shouldn't say that. And the thing is, in my economy, they're inconsequential, but they're so much more valuable to somebody else. Silly little things. It's like even our kids, you know, they say all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, where does that come from? You are pastors, kids. <laughs> you don't say stuff like that. But it's just, it's just part of it. It's, it's learning and growing. And they'll talk to Vivian and I'll, I'll say like, oh, well, you can't do that because you're a girl. It's meant innocently. It's a dumb comment. But I don't know how she takes it. Because I'm different to you and I'm not a boy. What does it say about me? Does it say I'm inferior to you? Does it say I'm not as good as you because I'm not a boy? It's my interpretation of what's taking place. It's what I believe about what's happening there that becomes important in defining who I am. You all have differences. We have differences because we come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic environments. Some are boys, some are girls, some are black, some are white, some are South African, some are South American, some are... We're all different! In a world full of differences, here's the reality. It's going to be interrogated somewhere. The challenge with it is do you allow your differences and your belief about what's said about that to give definition to you? Or, you can, or do you leave it? What do you believe? There's a problem with people who are indulged when they're kids. It's a problem because what it says to them, the messaging that they're getting is, you know what? Life comes to me and life happens. And they grow up. And they go to college. And they think, everybody should pay for my college. Why should I pay for it? 
It should come freely. I'm not talking about people who don't have the privilege. I'm talking about a paradigm. Again, the paradigm. And so I get out of college. Where's my job? Where's my job? I'm entitled to it. Why? Because things come to me. There's no recognition of the fact that, you know what? People are going to employ you because of the value that you contribute. Where's the value? I don't need value. It's got to come to me. What do you mean I've got to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning? You laugh. I know, I, I'll tell you the truthfully. There was somebody that, that was in here and they were talking about a friend of theirs and he couldn't hold a job. You know why? He refused to get to work at eight o'clock in the morning. He was like, I'm only going in at 10. He couldn't keep a job because I'm entitled. Life comes to me. I live it anywhere I like. And I don't understand why the wheels keep coming off and things don't work out the way that I think that they're supposed to work out. I don't recognize the fact that I have gifting and I have ability and I have creativity invested on the inside of me. And so every time and every step that I take, God is introducing me to opportunity, opportunity to speak into people's lives in circumstances and situations, opportunities to get in there and have meaningful influence for your own self and who you are. What is he introducing you to? God created. Are you creating in your life? Or are you waiting for it to happen? I'm talking about paradigms that put us in a dangerous place because we don't understand why things don't work out the way that we do. But I love God. Yes, but your paradigms are skew. I love God, but my definition of him, his definition of who I am hasn't been fully developed. And as a result of that, my life patterns are wobbly. You do math. And you don't do well at math. What is your takeout? What do you believe? I'm not good at math. It's okay because I'm good at other subjects. Or I'm not very smart because smart people are good at math. What is it doing? What I believe is establishing patterns that I live from. And when I don't believe that I'm smart, I become a person who likes to live in the shadows. Because I don't want you to ever discover that I'm really not smart. So if I live in those places and I don't embrace opportunity, I'm in a very safe place, but it compromises my life. We think it's easy to change, and we think it's simple. We think it's something like, well, let's just change the ideas, but it doesn't work that way. You see, the problem with it is we suffer from something called deception. This is what happens with deception. I have a real-life situation that happens. I'm sitting and I don't do well in the math exam and I fail it. Real life situation. So I have information that comes to me from that. Thoughts and emotions. Thoughts and emotions are all real. The thing about it is thoughts and emotions get mixed with something called interpretation. So something that did happen... My takeouts are mixed with interpretation, and as a result of that, I have something called a belief that is a takeaway. That belief begins to define who I am, and it begins to define my life pattern. Here's the real kicker. When you have those situations, the information you get is not just what you think about the situation. That's one component to it. 
It comes with something called cement. Cement are the, is the emotion that goes with it. And cement embeds that thought into who you are. And you get more cement, the more emotionally charged the situation is. I failed the exam. It wasn't good. I felt bad about myself. There's the cement. I'm sitting in class and I'm asked to go to the blackboard and do the, the math problem. And I get it all wrong and everybody laughs at me. Heightened emotion. A whole lot more cement coming in to establish that on the inside of me. The challenge is this. The reason that it's so hard for us to change is because once those things begin to define who we are, I don't have the power to change them. Well, just tell people that they're smart. Try it. It doesn't carry weight. Why? Because there's something embedded on the inside of me that's defining who I am and it's defining the course of my action. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can only, only the Holy Spirit can do what nobody else can do. Only He can free me from that and introduce me to who I need to be. Psychologists and psychiatrists will give me medication and they'll sit and talk to me about the ideas and who you should be. They'll let you sit there and vent and process who you are, but they can't touch the very essence of who you are and pull out that which leaves it embedded in who you are. That's why people sit in those psychology things for years and nothing ever happens. Why? Because they don't have the power that the Holy Spirit does. They don't have the power that the Holy Spirit does. Um, I thought I had it. It's the whole point of the prodigal son. The point of the prodigal son was this. He went off and he went into the world and he gained definition for himself out in the world. And he found himself living amongst the pigs, eating pig food. One of the primary goals of the Christian walk is to take back what was originally yours. One of the primary goals of the Christian walk is to step into the identity that God originally created for you to enjoy. We can spend forever living amongst the pigs. And the problem with it is, as strange as it may seem, as dysfunctional as it may sound, very often we're comfortable living amongst the pigs because it's our normal. It's our normal. I wonder why the fruit of my life is not what it should be. Because I'm living amongst the pigs. But I don't want to change because everything else is wrong. Because this is my normal. Everybody's a problem. It's my normal. Every alternative is wrong because this is my normal. And even when I'm introduced to the things of God, I look at them and I might see them, but they don't become a part of who I am because it's not my normal. All things pass away and everything will become new. God's intention is about the redefinition of who we are. God's intention is that he's going to walk us back into the fullness of who he's designed for us to be.
And the thing about it is, as long as I'm staying in the pig, living with the pigs, indulging with the pigs, eating with the pigs, I can do it as long as I want. But you know what? In all of that time, dad's still sitting waiting. Dad's still sitting waiting. Never gives up. Because you know what? He's sitting there saying, the time's going to come. The time's going to come when you're going to get tired of that living. The problem with that living is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because this is what happens. I do things that are not functional. I have patterns of living that are not healthy. And so what ends up happening is I, I walk kind of from catastrophe to catastrophe. And I have a wake of destruction behind me. And every time stuff like that happens, it comes and it reminds me of the fact that I'm so imperfect. And I'm not good. And I begin to interpret it as I'm a really bad person. And bad people don't want to go back to dad because I don't want you to see who I am. So we live in that place of dysfunction because I don't want to be able to get to the place where I come to him and say, you know what, Father, I can't do this. It's okay. I'm coming in humility to sit and say, you know what, I don't want that lifestyle anymore. I want something new. He never criticizes never judges. It's always love. So happy to see you. Come on. Let's put your robe on. Let's get your ring on. Let's make you who you were designed to be. I'm going to take you back. I'm going to show you who I originally intended you to be. I'm going to step you into the place of being a son and what sonship is really all about. And I'm going to get, put you at a place where I'm going to give definition with, to you so that you begin to realize what that is. So you walk from a different place and you live from a different place. And the world that you knew will be a world behind you. Conformity is a dangerous place. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm putting you on a journey. I'm putting you on a journey. Don't think you're going to go to bed tonight and wake up in the morning and everything's going to be fine. It's not. It's okay. We're on a journey. You're running your race. The good thing about your race is this. It's your race. You are an individual and God deals with you individually. You put your blinkers on. I don't care where other people are. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care if they're streets ahead of me or streets behind me. I'm running my race. Because every step that I take, he's introducing me to something new. Every step that I take, he's showing me, you know what? Let's take another step out of the pig pen and let's move over this way. And I'm dusting you off and I'm washing you off and I'm getting rid of all of the old stuff and the stink and the mud and the everything else because you're going to be a new person. You're going to look new and you're going to live new. Run your race. Transformed. What a wonderful gift. You don't have to be the person that your history has defined. Your future is a gift to you that offers you the opportunity to step into something new. Opportunity comes with your future.
but you've got to embrace it. Grace is a lavish meal. Sit at the table and get ready to feast. But you don't get any of it if you don't open your mouth and eat. We want to sit and look at the table and talk about how wonderful grace is and how good grace is and how lavish grace is and how grace is so fabulous and everything. It's wonderful and it's good and everything that you're saying is 100% true. But he needs your partnership. If you don't eat, you don't get any. It doesn't mean that grace didn't exist. It means you didn't partake. It offers us the opportunity of newness, stepping into something new. It'll change your paradigm because living as a conformist is going to be a misery and a nightmare because you position yourself as a victim. This is why. When you live from conformity, what you're saying is, The world and the natural is the source of my identity. So as long as things are going well in my environment, that's good. I'm feeling fab. But the minute I hit an obstacle, what does it say about me? Now I'm starting to hit down. I can't do this. It's a challenge. It's terrible. It's awful. Oh, did you hear what they said about me? Oh, It's a problem with conformity. I empower the people in my environment and circumstances and situations to define who I am. And as long as the inputs for my life are good and affirming and reassuring, man, do I feel fabulous. But don't say anything about me that I don't like because I fall apart because the source is wobbly now. God's intention in transforming you is so that you become an expression of his identity. And the result of that is that it's going to elevate you so that you have a heavenly perspective in a natural realm. (laughs) I am in the world. I'm just not of it. It does a couple of things. Number one, it rescues you. I'm no longer subject to whatever's happening in my environment. It's okay. Secondly, in that space, it gives me a different perspective on people. I see you not because of what you did or didn't do to me. I see you as somebody who's still on their journey to discover the fullness of what it is to walk into God's identity in that place. What happens to Jesus? Jesus is out and they on a mission to crucify him. They're going to kill him. And he's in these crowds of people. And everybody's telling him how much they hate him. And how awful he is. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they flog him. And they put him on the cross. And he says something so interesting. Father, forgive them. Because they know not what they do. Where did that perspective come from? 
Where did that perspective come from? He is about to die. But it's inconsequential in his estimation of what's happening. Why? He's not conformist. I'm living from a new place. And as a result, my perspective on the reality that's happening is different. Forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Here's the key. Anytime you're in an environment and you react to something happening there, it's just the Holy Spirit saying, uh, another area to work on because you're conforming. You're wandering down 66 and somebody flicks you off because you didn't move over fast enough. And what happens? I'm furious. Conformist. Conformist. I'm speaking to myself. I'm the biggest culprit. Conformist. He's about to die. And he looks at people and his dispositions. We can't take it when somebody says something about us that's like, oh, that really rubbed against the grain. Conformist. I go into situations and things don't work out the way that I think they should. What happens? I fall to pieces. I cry. I carry on. I'm a lunatic. <laughs> Woe is me. My life is so terrible. I'm so awful. What happened? Conformist. As long as I live subject to my world and my environment, the people and the circumstances, as long as I empower those things with the opportunity to give definition to who I am, I'm in trouble. Because conformity is a not a good place to live. What you're saying is, I'm not taking responsibility for my identity. I'll give it to my world. The encouragement to you is this. Change. Be not conformed, but be transformed. Made new. How are you made new? By renewing your... What is he saying? Man, the most wonderful thing happened when you got born again. Because the Holy Spirit, which had been absent since he departed Adam, has just moved back into your neighborhood. He's living on the inside of you. And he's sitting saying, stop, let's change everything. Let's change who you are. Let's change the way that you live. Let's change all of those things. Stop going back to the world to find your fulfillment, to find your happiness, to find your purpose. You're never going to find it in there. Stop conforming. Get back to the place where you sit and say, fine, I was created in his image to reflect his likeness. I'm a dominion figure. What does that look like when I walk into Jesse yelling and screaming at me? I know. Okay, Rafa. Rafa yelling and screaming at me. Am I a conformist? Do I listen to the words? Do I see the emotion? Am I reactive? Or do I sit there and say, give me a heavenly perspective on a natural reality? Rafa, you're so upset, man. Let's talk a little bit about this. That's what changes us. That's what makes us different. That's what makes you salt and light. You have no salt and light when you like everybody else. Everybody's a conformist. That's the benefit to Christ. Newness. 
I'm not who I used to be. And wait till you see who I am next month. He's provided everything for you. Why? Because I go to him as my source of everything that I need. I go to him to that place where I sit and say, you know what? Give me definitions to what this looks like. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. You've moved into that place. Illuminate for me the image of who he is. Take that and get that established in my life. So what ends up happening is I change and I become different and I feel different and I live from a different place and my heavenly perspective is fabulous because I'm in, but I'm not of. I can enjoy without empowering it to puncture my life. And then you still have the little challenge of the thing called the flesh. Fortunately, when you learn to do that, you're introduced to a principle which is wonderful. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill. That's what we'll talk about next week. God has a plan for your life which will blow your mind. But he needs your partnership. He needs your partnership. He gave you the opportunity of free will. You can choose. You can choose. Choose wisely. Don't engage with self-definition. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Don't move into your world as a source for who you are or what you need. The heart of who you are has access to the life of God inside of you. Go to him to define you and to fill you. You'll live from a different paradigm. You'll have a heavenly perspective on a natural reality. Holy Spirit, I thank you for a wonderful group of people. I thank you for world changes. I thank you for people that have an appetite and a love, a hunger for you, Holy Spirit, to give redefinition to who they are. I pray through this week. I pray through this week. Every time we react to our world, that you check us, Holy Spirit. Check us. Put us at a place where we begin to recognize the fact that I'm intentionally moving away from conformity. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you make yourself so real to people. I pray that Your invitation is always there to have intimacy of relationship with us. The mind, the very heart of the spirit, the place where you dwell. I pray that you'll just work with us in being able to recognize your unctions 
and your promptings and your invitations. I thank you for the work that you're doing on the inside of us. I thank you for the opportunity of newness. The fact that we can leave our past behind. We can leave our history behind. We can leave all the hurts and the pains and the dysfunction that we may have experienced behind us. We can shake it off and we can step into newness because of what you do in our lives, Holy Spirit. I thank you for new people, champions, overcomers, People who are the true expression of what it is to be light and salt. People who walk into the fullness of the promise that old things pass away and I become brand new. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.